If you will, turn in the Scriptures to Psalm 73. Psalm 73. Um, this message may be just for me, uh, if not, but I, I would venture to think that this is all for, for all of you here. Um, because as Job says, man is born of, man that is born of a woman is a few days and full of trouble. But it seems like um, the last couple days I've struggled with, with um, just thoughts, just depressing thoughts and doubts and things like that. And uh, if we're not careful, as Asaph experienced, if we're not careful, those doubts and those thoughts can lead to some really dark places. Um, you may think of, you know, I know times where uh, maybe, maybe you're having a, a text message, a conversation with somebody over text, and something they may say may, it may come across, they meant it in a completely innocent way, but you, know, you can't hear them, you can't see their eyes, their tone of voice, all that. You may take it the completely wrong way until you actually commune with them, meet with them face to face, and then, oh, total misunderstanding, that's not what you meant, we're all good. This is not exactly what Asaph um, went through, but it, this is what it reminded me of. Um, in Psalm 73, Asaph, <clears throat> excuse me, Asaph is recounting when the Jews were in Babylonian captivity. They were under um, oppression for a long time. They were in exile. They were undergoing, of course, intense suffering. And, of course, the reason they came under Babylonian captivity was their own doing, their own uh, sin for doing what was right in their own eyes. But in this, um, in this psalm, Asaph is recounting a time where he underwent some, great, uh, some deep depression and some self-pity. Um, and it took him reorienting his mind, reorienting his heart to what was preeminent, what is priority. And that is, he entered into the sanctuary of God and then he understood. He had, clear, uh, he had clarity and direction, and ultimately uh, his mind and heart were back on Christ where they should have been all along. Psalm 73. I'm going to read the whole psalm. Um, the first 14 verses, I'll just say, is Asaph walking by sight, and then verse 17 onward is Asaph walking by faith. And I want you to put yourself into this psalm. Try to put yourself into this psalm and see if you cannot relate. Psalm 73. Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped, for I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily." They have set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world, 
they increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain, and have washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. And then here's the transition. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment? They are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far off, or they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. Praise the Lord for his inspired, infallible word. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord God, I pray that you would teach us through Psalm 73 tonight. Lord, I pray that you would truly get me out of the way. I pray that you would bless us when we uh, have bouts with self-pity or uh, just wrong thinking. Um, It seems like the world is winning and and the world is prospering and we as Christians are just um, suffering. Oh Lord, I pray that you would remind us and, and cause us to repent and cause us to enter into your sanctuary, Lord, and to remember the true end for the wicked and the true end for the righteous, Lord. Pray that you will get all the glory. In Jesus' name, amen. So, as is norm, normal a lot of times in the Psalms, it seems like two different men wrote this psalm, doesn't it? And it really was. It was the Asaph uh, walking by sight, and then the Asaph walking by faith. Asaph is voicing his frustration and even envy at the wicked, while he and his beloved people, the Jews, are suffering under their tyranny. They, are, they seem to be flourishing. They're happy. They're strong. They're healthy, and they're, and they're arrogant in their wicked lifestyle, and his people are just suffering. And he's going to start the psalm in the right way. And again, this is uh, uh, John Gill thinks this is Asaph basically writing this maybe a few years after and basically writing this as a warning to those who would go after him. Don't fall into the same trap that I did. Don't fall into this wrong thinking. Don't get out of fellowship with God. If you have not been uh, in the sanctuary of God, get back in the sanctuary of God and get right with God. Don't do what I did. This could be what Asaph was doing. But he, he starts the psalm, Truly, God is good to Israel, even to such as are, as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. He distinguishes himself from those who are of a pure heart 
to him who seems to even maybe doubt his salvation. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there with, with the hymn writer who says, How's it? I am a stranger here below, and what I am, tis hard to know. I am so vile, so prone to sin, I fear that I'm not born again. It seems to be that's where Asaph, that, the, that is the point that Asaph got to. He readily admits, in verse 3, he readily admits his envy over the foolish, over the wicked. For I was envious at the foolish, or the arrogant, you could say, when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. He was about ready to join in with them. Well, if you can't beat them, join them. Maybe what it seems at times. And can you not relate to this? We may not outwardly say, I am envious at the wicked. I wish... I could prosper like they do. But in our heart, in our heart, do we not at times get depressed and it leads to wrong thinking and wrong decisions? Brothers and sisters, that is the danger of walking by sight. Our eyes can get polluted. We, it's like there is a, you know, maybe if, if someone who, who needs glasses, it's, it's like they're maybe walking without glasses. They can't see clearly. It's, I've used this analogy many times here, but it's like when I'm walking into a dark room in my house and, and I, the toys that we forgot to put up, I stub my toe in one of the toys because I can't see clearly. I have to turn on the light to see clearly. That's what it's like. That's what, that's what Asaph is walking through right now. He's walking through this dark maze and he just cannot see clearly and it's leading him to envy what God hates to envy the wicked because he sees, oh, they're prospering. They have an easy life. Verses 4 through 6, he says, For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. So they, lead, they lead an easy life, and even when they die, it seems like they, just, they, they lived a nice, peaceful, happy life, and then they die. Whereas our people were suffering probably from hunger, from hardship, persecution. You know, it seems like it's, it's, the, it's the eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we die. They wear pride and violence as a badge of honor. It says they are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride can pass at them about as a chain. It has an idea of, of if you were to wear like a badge of honor and a big necklace or a chain around you. They, they wear it with a, with a badge of honor. In verse 7, he would say, Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They have good jobs. They get to do whatever they want, it seems like, and they're prospering in it. What's going on? I mean, it sounds like if we're walking by sight, it does sound like, yeah, we should be envious of them too because they have the easy life. And they're arrogant with it. They call good evil and evil good, and, and they get away with it, Lord. It's not right. They don't hide their shame. They celebrate it. Maybe in today's terms, shout your abortion. They celebrate evil, but yet they're prospering. In verses 9... I want you to, verses 9 through 11, think of some of this language sounds familiar. 
verses 9 through 11. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, does this sound familiar? And they say, how doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Does that not sound familiar? Maybe a a serpent in a garden many, many years ago? Hath God said you can't eat of this tree? Eve, God's holding back from you. He's holding back from you because He knows that you'll gain this knowledge and you'll be like God if you eat of this tree. It's the language of Satan. Hath God said? How doth God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? He would go on in verse 12, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. It reminds me of Job. We all, I trust, are familiar with with the deep trial, the testing that Job underwent, that that God allowed Satan to... to, uh, to test his servant Job. And praise God, Job never cursed God. But Job suffered greatly. And at times it clouded his thinking. And in Job 21, he would say in verse 7, Wherefore do the wicked live, become old, yea, are mighty in power? They're flourishing. Talking about the wicked, their seed is established in their sight with them and their offspring before their eyes. Their houses are safe from fear. Neither is the rod of God upon them. And so on and so forth. Their house is safe. They're mighty in power. And then in verse 12, he says, Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verse 13, Verily, have you ever gotten this low? Maybe not again, maybe not verbally, but in your heart, have you ever gotten this low, this out of communion with God? Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. This all, this, this whole going to church and trying to live right and All of this, it's all vanity. It's all fruitless. It's all pointless. They they are prospering over here and me. I'm doing it all for vain. It's all for naught. It's all a waste. That's where Asaph got. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. Lord, I've tried to live a a pure life. I'm trying to live a holy life. I'm trying to serve You. And it's just not worth it. Now, again, lest we... My point in the message is not just to castigate Asaph and just throw stones at Asaph at all. The the point of the message is is hopefully to to bring us... And and again, I want you and I to enter into this psalm, enter in with Asaph to see if we cannot relate at times. May we do some pondering ourselves, some, some examining of our own heart. Well, then in verse 15, he start, there's a slight shift in verse 15. He acknowledges, he, 
He didn't want to say these things out loud. These are, these are thoughts that are burning inside of his heart. He didn't want to say these things out loud for fear, for fear of betraying the people of God. But it's like it's an inward conversation he's engaging in. His thoughts are just overwhelming him right now. He says in verse 15, If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. And when I thought to know this, it was too painful for me. I tried to figure this out on my own. I'm trying to figure this out on my own. I'm trying to to work this out. And I just can't do it. I'm in over my head. And then, here comes the turning point. Asaph is walking by sight. And then verse 17 happens. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I their end. You know, the sanctuary or the tabernacle in those days would have been the place where the Jews would have met to, to worship. And you know, in, in, in the days they would have the, the Ark of the Covenant, and that was a, a sign, a symbol of the presence and power of God. And you know, a sanctuary, it's it's a it's a holy place, it's a consecrated place. You know, while we gather to meet, we at times we call this at times the sanctuary. There's nothing holy just in the brick and mortar, but what we do here, it's very holy. Thing. It's a consecrated thing. It's a set-apart thing. He entered into the sanctuary of God. Something that is uncommon. Something that is holy. Asaph is now taking his eyes off of his circumstances. Very real, very hard circumstances. He really did suffer. They really did suffer under real oppression. You know, it could be real easy for me, who's lived a, a charmed, blessed life, to say, Asaph, what's wrong with you? You should have been in the sanctuary of God a whole lot sooner before you're starting to envy the wicked. What's wrong with you? See, he, he suffered real trouble, real hardship. But yet, he now takes his eyes off of his circumstances and on to the one who sits on the throne. The one whose throne is in heaven and whose earth is His footstool. The Creator, the Sustainer, the Sovereign of the universe. That's who Asaph is now orienting his heart, his mind towards. The one who controls all things. The one whose reign is everlasting. Maybe we could say it in these terms. Maybe we could relate to this. Asaph has turned off his phone, his social media, he has turned the news off, he's turned the TV show off, he's entered into his prayer closet, maybe he's dusted the Bible off of the coffee table and cracked it open and began reading again. Maybe he has gotten the hymn book out and started to look for some of these prayers that these old hymn writers have have prayed and put to to music and these songs of praise that, that Asaph just doesn't have inside of him right now. So he can, he can lean on these other brothers and sisters who have written these hymns. He has now taken off his eyes off the footstool and onto the throne. Maybe... Again, in, in our day, maybe he's gone to bed earlier on Saturday night. 
so he can wake up more refreshed and rested on Sunday and to be prepared to worship the living God. He is considered, brothers and sisters, he is considering entering the sanctuary of God. He is going to the house of God. He is going into into a set-apart place. And now he's meditating on the character of God, the attributes of God. You know, that's what... um, that's what David, <clears throat> excuse me. That's what David had to do in Psalm 11. You know the psalm that says, uh, "If the foundations be destroyed, what can the righteous do?" And then you know the very next line of that psalm, "But the Lord is in His throne. The Lord's throne is in heaven." I forget exactly how it goes. He again, he immediately begins meditating and reminding himself of the character of God. That God is all seeing. His eyes uh, behold. His eyelids try the children of men. That He is everywhere present, nowhere absent. That He is immutable. His character never changes. That He is omnipotent. He has all power. Nothing is outside of His control. He reminds himself of God's faithfulness there in Psalm eleven. He revives his heart. He does what David did there in 1 Samuel. He encourages himself, as it were, in the Lord. And then I want you to notice the complete turnaround after this. The complete turnaround. Then he understands the end of the wicked. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. Remember, these are the ones who are prospering. They wear pride like a badge of honor. They even live live an easy life and die an easy death, it seems like. But now, he's been into the sanctuary of God. And then he says in verse 19, How are they brought into desolation? As in a moment, they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream, when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. That is, of course, God never sleeps. That is anthropomorphic language assigning human characteristics to God. When God decides in His own good, perfect timetable to punish the wicked, then this is the end of the wicked. O Lord, when Thou awakest, verse 20, Thou shalt despise their image. And then, and then look how his, his, his mind and His heart now even more gets convicted. The one who is envious at the wicked. The one who, Lord, I've I've cleansed my heart in vain. But now, here's what he says in verse 21. Thus, my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins, or, or I was cut to my heart. So foolish was I and ignorant, I was as a beast before thee. Oh, Lord, how could I have been so foolish than to doubt you? How could I have been so foolish than to say, I've cleansed my heart in vain? But you know, that's, that's the life of a Christian, brothers and sisters in Christ. That's the life of a child of God. It's this ongoing process of sanctification, of persevering. And at times it may seem like we're taking two steps back and one step forward. You know, I, I saw a, a funny meme uh, one time. It was a pastor and he said, this is what sanctification looks like. And it was a, a, a video of a guy going up a, 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 a not an elevator, but a escalator backwards. So he's like, he's going up and he's falling down. And he's going up and he's falling down. 
That is, at times, isn't that the life of the sanctification, the life of a Christian, the life of a child of God at times? Lord, how foolish could I have been? But, but remember, he's now been communing with God. He's gone back to the house of God. He's gone back to opening up God's Word. Communing with God and then he thinks rightly. He has stopped walking by sight. Now he's walking and thinking with faith. And he sees the end game of the wicked. But I love this. And I want you to note the enduring mercy and long-suffering of God. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee. Thou hast holden me. Lord, you have held me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. It's a different man talking, isn't it? It really is. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my life and my portion forever. Let me just, let me just rewind and read verses 3 through 7 again, and then read verses 24 through 28. Verses 3 through 7 For I was envious at the foolish. When I saw the prosperity of the wicked, for, lo, for there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain, violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, they have more than heart could wish. Now, verse 23. Nevertheless, or, I'm sorry, verse 24, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. And that is the truth, brothers and sisters in Christ. For those who are not in Christ the end game is what you and I all deserve. It is utter destruction. It is utter damnation. It is eternal separation from God. That should be very encouraging, but also it should be very sobering. He says, Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee, all those who have been unfaithful to you. And this may seem like a, well it is, a Captain Obvious statement, but it is. And this is what we need to remind ourselves and preach to ourselves is the last verse. But it is good for me to draw near to God. Maybe we just need to to pray that and, and tell ourselves that every day for the rest of our lives. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God that I may declare all thy works. I love what Spurgeon says about verses 17 on. He says, After having been, after having been driven far out to sea, Asaph casts his anchor in the old port. He casts his anchor in the old port. We shall do well to follow His example. There is nothing desirable save God. 
Let us then desire only Him. All other things must pass away. Let our hearts abide in Him who alone abideth forever. Let's cast our port, or cast our anchor in the old port in Christ. So brothers and sisters, I want to close by just encouraging you, admonishing you, exhorting you and myself to enter into the sanctuary of God. That is, the sanctuary of prayer. You remember in 1 Peter 3, First uh, Peter would quote from the psalmist in Psalm 34 when he is talking to the scattered saints in Cappadocia and Bithynia and Asia and other, other uh, tribes who are being persecuted, undergoing the, the trial of their faith. They're undergoing a fiery trial. And they may at times been, had been tempted to envy the wicked and think maybe they'd cleanse their hearts in vain. But listen to this encouragement from Peter, who I think this is really, really neat. Maybe a thousand years before, I don't know, David, who was hiding in a cave after he had, he had done some wrong thinking and decided to go to the, Philipp- the Philistines to hide from Saul. And then he ends up in Gath, the same town where Goliath was from. And so he doesn't know what to do. And so... What else is there to do? Act like a crazy man, scratch the walls and spit on your beard. He didn't know what to do. Then he, God delivers him from that. And so from that, maybe a thousand, I don't know how many years before, now, later, Peter gets to write and use the same inspired language to encourage persecuted saints. For the eyes of the Lord are over the righteous, and His ears are open unto their prayers." But the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. Run to the sanctuary of prayer. Believer, you have access, blood-bought access to this thrice-holy God through Jesus Christ. So come boldly to His throne. Come boldly into the sanctuary of prayer. Have you neglected your prayer life? How is your prayer life? Ask yourself that. How is your prayer life? Do not neglect the sanctuary of prayer. I would also encourage and admonish and exhort you to enter into the sanctuary of God's Word. His living Word. His Word that is pure. Every word of it is pure, the prophet would tell uh, his two disciples in uh, Proverbs 30. Every word of God is pure. It's been tried and tested. Jeremiah would say, Thy words, in Jeremiah 15, 16, Thy words were found, and I did eat them. And Thy word was unto me the joy and rejoicing of mine heart. May God's word be the joy and rejoicing of your heart. Just a practical exhortation. Read Psalm 119. If, if, you are, if you need to be revived by God's Word and remember the, the, uh, the power of God's Word, read Psalm 119 and ask that, ask that God would open your eyes and be revived and behold wondrous things out of His law. 
Eat His words. Consume them. He is the bread of life. It is manna from above. Eat His words. There's a, a really good, I, I recommend it to everybody. A man wrote a, uh, a, a little booklet about his, his uh, he's a pastor, but he said he had, just, he had been in a rut for several years in his Bible reading. Just, he had just not had a good habits with devotion, with his, his, his personal devotions with God, and specifically his Bible reading. And the Lord uh, used his father to really um, just revive that in him. And, and, and so now he wrote the, the booklet, the title of the booklet is How to Eat Your Bible. And he, he got that from Jeremiah 15, 16. I love the title. Eat your Bible. It, this, eat God's Word. It is bread. Job would say he esteemed the words of God's mouth more than his necessary food. So enter into the sanctuary of God in prayer. Enter into the sanctuary of God in His Word. Then finally, don't neglect the sanctuary of God's house. Don't forsake the assembly. Don't neglect it. Psalm 92. Psalm 92 would say, verse 13, Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. Can we get an amen to that? They shall be fat and flourishing to show that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in Him. But wait. I thought the wicked were the ones that were flourishing. No, 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 no. Their end game is destruction. Their end game is desolation. But what's the end game for those that are planted in the sanctuary of God, and specifically here, God's house? They will still be flourishing and bringing forth fruit in old age. So ultimately, what is this? What are we saying here? Enter into the sanctuary of Jesus Christ. There is no other way. Run to the sanctuary of Jesus Christ. If you're looking anywhere else, if you're looking anywhere else, it is darkness, it's destruction, it's chaos. Enter into the sanctuary of God in His Word, in prayer, in His house, and ultimately run to Jesus. It is good to draw near to God. Let's pray. Lord, thank You for Your Word. Thank You that every Word of God is pure. It's true. Your character is good. You, you, thou art good and doest good. Your character is um, omnipotent. You are sovereign. You are unchanging. You are from everlasting to everlasting. And so Lord, bless us to remember that when we are tempted. Remember that when we are downcast. Remember that when we are in a spiritual, in a cold, dark place spiritually. Oh Lord, bless us to enter in to the sanctuary of You, O God. In Jesus' name, Amen.